When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. The podcast that knows it's not always easy being blue. This week on Heart and Hand, it really isn't fucking easy being blue. So welcome to Heart and Hand Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar. I'm your host and I'm joined this week by uh, a man who I think is uh, sounds like how the rest of us are feeling. Uh, and that's Mr. Cameron James Bell. David, my friend, how are you? I'm dying of the lurgy, so yeah. I'll apologise now yeah. if I cough in your ear. Uh, like I say, I think it's, it's quite apt, mate, that uh, you are... <laughs> I think that you physically resemble how the rest of us are feeling mentally. Uh, Especially after you losing the World Championship to Mark Selby last night as well. Well, that that's what I would look like, I think, had I not lost all the weight. Whereas John John Higgins appeared to have thoroughly enjoyed the West the West of Scotland lifestyle, shall we say? He's enjoyed that uh, forced layoff for what was it again? I can't remember. Let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. Before we start, I'd like to just say to the listeners that despite the you know, hopefully a reverent tone that we take and we try to be light-hearted and we um, try to keep everything in perspective on the podcast. We are always very grateful to, to each and every one of them that downloads or streams this podcast and gives us an opportunity to, to speak to them about something that we all love. And it's not something that we take for granted. And we know that, that in certain weeks... That's a privilege that has a responsibility because people tune in expecting to hear us put things into some sort of context or to maybe reassure them on things that they're worried about or to to somehow kind of show why something happened and, and where it's leading to. And this week, I think that responsibility weighs even harder because I don't think anybody knows where we're going I think we all have our suspicions and we all have our theories but a lot of it is based out of fear and, and fears like as I, I say fear fears like putting a, a popcorn kernel into the hot oil it just expands and it gets bigger and bigger and multiplies so this week is not going to be an easy pod to do it probably won't be an easy one to listen to but I suppose it's for you and me, we will try to put it in, put this jumble, this horror show jumble, into as much order as we can. So yeah, and it's 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 difficult. I think frustration's probably been, you know, aligned to the fear that you've mentioned in terms of um, just about how we're kind of feeling across the entire fan fan base at the moment. 
Um, I think that it's it, it, it's good to call out some of these some of these truths. I think that we've had a little bit of a kind of resurgence with the uh, promotion back up to to the Premier League, and we've now had a few home truths coming back to us. Mm. I don't think uh, anyone um, could the, could argue with the that. The reaction to those truths, I think, would probably be what I would would question most, if that makes sense, from the club and from the the playing staff currently. Mm. Well, I suppose um, one thing we don't want to be accused of is cowardice. I think there were enough guys uh, in blue jerseys on Saturday displaying that to to last a lifetime. So we'll start with the game, and there are no. <laughs> there are no areas of comfort there are no green shoots of recovery uh, or blue shoots of recovery I suppose uh, there are no moonbeams to grab onto here this was a comprehensive dismantling of a team of losers hired by a loser who are not afraid of losing and they were up against a team who were confident and motivated and well managed and, and who had better players but it's an old football fan cliche but it's a football fan cliche because it's true you can handle defeat we've all seen defeats we don't like it but we can handle it if you feel that they've given you absolutely everything that they had to give you and that your team, you might have journeymen and you might have average players, but at least they understood what it meant to you as a supporter, what it meant to you, you know, from your heart, from your belief, from your love of the club, to, to what it meant to you to going into your work on, you know, the, the next day after it and, and facing up to people who don't follow this club. And especially when it's a big club with a storied history and an amazing internationally known rivalry that they get that and give you everything. And even if they lose, that they can walk off the field and say, I, I, I'm really sorry, I just, you know, we just weren't good enough, but we couldn't have done any more for you. Well, in two matches, our two biggest matches of the season, they didn't. They didn't give us everything. They didn't leave everything out on the park. The only things that they did was turn up, get fucked, and scuttle off back to the wee cosseted bubble back in Okinawa, and leaving every one of us feeling like fucking mugs for ever having invested any belief in that shower of utter fucking shithog. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're holding back, David. Yeah, I was... I, I, I don't temperance has always been one of your strongest suits. I don't, I don't think it, it... I don't think it's good to just start picking on them individually, so I'll pick on them collectively. I'll exempt Kenny Miller and then every other one of you fuckers. You have no fucking right to cash a wage check this week for that. I would have you fucking scrubbing eyeballs clean with your toothbrushes for what you did to my fucking club on Saturday. So, a couple of things that I would pick up. The first thing is, um, I'm not sold on this argument that on a player-by-player basis that they are better than us. Really? I'm sorry to question you, but, you know, in the case of honesty and really... Yeah, really, and I'll tell you why. Because I actually think, and this is a this is a kind of stronger point. The thing that's missing from that Rangers team, and what is massively abundant in that Celtic team, is mentality. It's that simple. Celtic know that they can beat us. We look like we could even beat ourselves. And I spoke to you about this, and actually said. See, and it's it's the old football and cliche. We're one 0 down before we even come in the park. Yeah, and that's actually because there's no mentality in that team that we can actually get a result against them. No, and 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 I would actually I would probably disagree with your other point around two biggest games this season. That game it was was completely meaningless. No, now, no, I appreciate, no, I'll disagree, Cammy. Ca- I mean, no, I will disagree because it it became meaningful after what happened the week before when we didn't turn up in that match. That ratcheted. We, we spoke about it in the pod last week. They had to give us something. They had to show us something. And instead of progress, they regressed. They got even worse. So the reason is why I'm saying that it's meaningless and I can understand... I can understand where you're coming from and I can understand why a lot of fans would disagree with what I've just said. But over the chapter of a season, 
in actual fact, everything is now concluded. Everyone is where they're going to be. Nothing else is going to change. Where these players failed so fundamentally in a game of that stature is to actually go out with no real... There was no real reason to be fearful. There was no real reason to be able to try and go out. It wasn't a must-win game, David, is my point. Whereas actually those players could have come out in a home game. I'll give you at Parkhead the, f- the first 5-1 game and I'll give you at Hamden in the semi-final. However, at home, these players had zero to worry about. Nothing, absolutely nothing about it. And yet, as was quite beautifully demonstrated in the Simovic tackle, seeing actual fact, Celtic wanted it more, they were going for it harder, they were going they were more hungry. It, it, it just it, it wasn't it just wasn't good good watching. And in actual fact that's the thing that really disappoints me is that no one, either from the playing or managerial staff, actually turned around to these players and said, Go out and actually just have a go at them. There's, do you know what if you lose you lose, I get that. But have a go at them. And the reason as to why you're angry and why I'm angry and why thousands of supporters all across the world are angry is because what we saw from that team was just a capitulation from minute one. And I'm and, and I'm not I'm not and we'll get on to individual player performances. I'm not willing to throw Beerman under the bus, but that effectively was a straw that broke the camel's back. But we were already looking like losing before that even get close to happening, David. Yeah, no. And that and that's where your biggest I suppose that's where your most systemic and infectious problem is in that squad is that we look like we just don't have any kind of form of, of winning mentality whatsoever. We don't have any aggression. We don't have any passion. Um, and I will exclude Miller from that, and I get that, and to a certain extent, Clint Hill. Yeah, yeah, the, rest of them, the rest of them, as far as I'm concerned, are perfectly comfortable just kind of coasting along. And I, I remember coming on a pod with you not, not a few weeks ago, and I was probably having the same reaction that you were having now, is because... There's just no fucking dig with them. None of them actually want to get set in about it. And the problem with that mentality is when Celtic, even Celtic have it, you've got players who are average, look like world beaters. And that's why I'm saying to you, on a player versus player rating, I don't think the gap is that big. However, these players can go out there with that mentality because they know that they'll just simply steamroller over most teams. And if they go a goal down, David, how many times did you see us doing it during the nine or era? Yeah. And that's because even if we conceded a goal, in actual fact, we knew we would still win the game. Yeah. We are so terrified at the moment of of even questioning that mentality, of even being able to try and come out with that passion and with that hunger and actually just with that positive, don't worry about it attitude. Celtic players now, as I say, are elevated a level, above a level which they would normally be accustomed to because of that con- consistency and that mentality has fed that. People listen to the show and they'll pick out things that I say and they, they, they it, it's a difficult thing that you have to get used to. If you're the one who's producing a show and sticking it out for public, um, for public consumption, you have to accept this. But people tend to take like a line and say, well, I, d- I disagree with that. And, and when I'm ranting and raving, a lot of it is not, I admit this, is not well considered, well thought out. You know, this is a, you know, a, a fantastic point. Uh, so, so if people are listening to me rant, think, well, that's a bit unfair on that guy. If you or if you take, I'm very much, you know, painting with with, you know, big brush strokes here. I'm I'm very much doing a scatter gun approach. I understand that, because, I think that there are points where, they don't deserve, everything to be broken down and things to be taken into consideration. And frankly, it's a little bit like the guy who's up for his. 34th breach of the peace charge that there comes a point where you've got to stop taking things into consideration and you've got to just start saying no we need to look at the full picture here and the full picture with this Rangers squad is that they they are responsible for the single most humiliating defeat in our history in my opinion they are responsible for taking a bad display and somehow contriving to make it worse and there's there's just all manner of things wrong with them. To me, that team looked such a Warburton team that they looked light. And that doesn't mean we're not going to get on to Pedro, but they looked lightweight. They looked technical. They looked frightened. They looked like 
they were going to give you X amount and no more and hope that would be enough. And if it wasn't, it didn't really matter. And all of those kind of Warburton chickens came home to roost for us on, on Saturday. You're right about Beerman. He's a kid. He made a mistake, which was probably born out of fear. After that, that left us in the hole. Second goal... Heinemann loses the ball, Wilson and Tavernier are out of position, Fodderingham goes down too early, cataloguer mistakes. Third goal, Josh Windass, who to me is the epitome of what I just described as a Warburton player, um, doesn't bother tracking Callum McGregor, and even when he sees it developing, still watch the goal again, still continues to amble back, makes no attempt, that there's no breakneck sprint to try and get there, and stands fully 10 yards away as, as his direct opponent puts the ball into the net. Do you, know, do you know what? Actually, sorry, and, and I know where you're going with this, right? But just to actually break it up for a second, because if you, if you, if you, if you see if you watch that third goal again, you're totally right in what you're saying, right? But the thing I would get you to think about at that point is you can almost tell that he has been coached in such a way that he's been told that as a midfielder there is a zone within which he hasn't really to penetrate. So, in other words, if it's maybe within twenty-five to thirty yards away from our goal. He, he almost looks like he's been told our defence will take care of it so don't come in and muddle things up and see when he's following McGregor actually see when, he, see when he follows him and you're right I mean he's 10 yards away from him anyway so it doesn't really make that much of a difference because McGregor's easily travelled 30 yards with the ball but see when you're watching that he actually stops he, he actually slows down he goes from a mild jog to a slightly yeah. fast walk. He does because it's because it's as if he's then been told, "Well, this is now going to encroach upon the area, and and the def- the, the back four will take care of it." And he actually fucking stops. Yeah, you he can just see stops. It. Yeah, watch it. Watch the goal. I know it's painful, but watch it back. We have to do it for this show, so we have to suffer. I suppose you should as well. You then have the fourth goal, which is a header from three yards from a, a wide and deep cross. Now that's got to be the goalkeeper's ball, right? has to be and the fifth goal is just endemic of the type of goal that you see in these matches I remember Gio Van Bronckhorst scoring one for us against them in uh, I think it was 99 when we won 4-0 that was exactly like that where the opposition have just completely given up and you can just waltz through and hit a shot and in, and when you're having a day like Celtic were having it's going in you know uh, regardless it's the time you crack that, that perfectly and sweetly but we had just completely given up the ghost by that a few other things that, you know, we could go into detail on each of the team, but what what is the point? I mean, they are just, they're not cut out to be Rangers players. The only ones going forward, you would exempt Behrman because he's a kid. You would exempt Miller because, again, the one guy that looks as though he cares and looks as though it's hot. The rest of them in that side, I just, you're never going to make Rangers players because you, yes, you don't, you, you don't have a lot of technical ability, but you just don't have enough balls. Well, th- th- there's a real irony because you're right. Obviously, I've, I've watched the goals back a number of times to be able to try and and, and just fathom exactly what went wrong. All and the the boy at the head of the fourth goal, um, Fodderingham completely shits himself. And if you want another example of that, uh, in the first half, Sinclair missed an absolute beauty at the back post, which is uh, funnily enough not dissimilar to the goal that he scored um, at New Year where Griffiths puts in a ball and, and Sinclair should have finished it. Fodringham again was completely posted missing at that. I had no idea what he was doing with Um And the fifth goal, I think the fifth goal for me, ironically, was probably the worst one because I don't blame Beerman. I don't necessarily, I mean, I can see as to how far McGregor's come with because that's just a completely disjointed midfield uh, that look like they've never met each other. So McGregor's just absolutely capitalised in the space when he's, when he's come forward with it. Um, Griffith's goal yes you could say it's poor goalkeeping although having said that I think Fodderingham's done enough to merit his, his, his place in the slightly above acceptable standards across the course of the season but the fifth goal for me is is probably the most difficult one to accept because Danny Wilson absolutely had the opportunity to do what happened to Kenny Miller in the first half. Yeah, he should have halved him, absolutely. Which, I'm which sitting watching that goal on, on, on as it happens, Cammy, just thinking and having the time to think, to actually process the thought, Wilson should half him here. And in the time it's taken me to do that thought, that's you know two, three seconds, and Wilson just doesn't bother, lets him through and shoot his fate. 
Yeah, and the, and the, pro, the problem is, see, see if you were to if you were to take the Simovic tackle and the Danny Wilson tackle and you were to, to get someone who had never seen the game to say, at what time in the game, roughly, would you say these tackles took place? And who do you think was winning heavily? I can guarantee most people would say, watching Simovic tackle, actually, I think that happened late on, Rangers are winning quite heavily and it's been frustration and the guy's just come in and wiped him out because he's been so angry he's conceded so many goals. No. And again, it comes back to that mentality. Simovic took Miller out. It was a statement early doors. We're not here to piss about. Wilson should have annihilated him and I don't even care if he took the ball and took... Actually, do you know what? I've been quite happy for him to get a card for it as well. No, he should have. It would have but, been a card because he was certainly preventing a goal-scoring opportunity and he would have been but good at that point, But, but yes, at that point, he had to. He, he, should, he should have come out and actually said, this is unacceptable. And do you know what? Even the guys who were still in Ibrox at that point probably still would have actually been quite happy to see that because at least someone cared mm. and at least someone said this wasn't acceptable. And the thing I would also get you to look at, and this is this is also where I, I, I cannot believe the clubs that Danny Wilson has, has played for and actually captained, that he's so gutless with this. The elbow by Brown, and I know we'll come on to that later, but the elbow by Brown on Miller, if you re-watch that scenario again, and obviously play continues, etc. The first person running towards the referee is Clint Hill. And he runs about 40 yards to get to the referee because Miller's still on the ground. Mm. And in actual fact, no one else He's the only one. really seems yes. to do much about it. It's Hill that's running towards him. And the thing that, that annoys me about that is, see if Hill had come out to make that tackle, eh, almost like he's just coming forward for the fifth goal, then as, as far as I'm concerned, he would have taken him out. Mm. And actually, that's what should have happened. And Wilson shat it because by that point, he he, he completely lost all interest by that stage. The the Hill thing is a, a great point that in an old firm game, you've watched one of your teammates get poleaxed by a guy who shouldn't even have been playing anyway, and none of them, bar Clint Hill, gave a fuck. None of them. They should have been up in his feet. There should have been shoving going on. They should have been into the referee saying, what the hell is that? You lent him away. None of that. In an old firm game, uh, just just utterly pathetic. So, moving on then, because we've got a lot to talk about. We will miss stuff. Uh, I apologise in advance for this, guys. You can send us in your questions and we'll try and cover it again next week. But, um, as I say, this is going to be a bit of a scattergun and we will miss things. It's... I know it's not an easy pod to listen to, but I assure you it's not an easy one to do. Um, the board have come in for a lot of criticism this week. I think that the last two matches being very much things that have turned the tide, or or perhaps not turned the tide, perhaps a better description is opened the floodgates, that there was already a sort of pressure building up in terms of how the, the board are handling things. There were reports that John Gilligan was involved in a an argument with fans uh, near the director's box at full time. Um, there was criticism for Dave King for, for not being there. There was criticism of Stuart Robertson, who is looking every inch a Motherwell chief executive currently. And the the thought that keeps coming to my mind, and I hate it, but I can't I can't shake it, we are Celtic in the 90s. We are run by a group of well-meaning but clearly incompetent people who are happy just to get by week to week at the moment but have been for 18 months. They have failed in the area of press relations. They have failed to defend the supporters. They have failed to defend the players when they've been attacked on the pitch. They didn't do what needed to be done after the Motherwell playoff game and instead chucked Mosney under the bus because it was the easiest option. They didn't do what needed to be done after the Hibs match. They didn't do what needed to be done after the effigies and the Kill All Huns banner. And their handling of the war button situation when it was clear what needed to be done was poor as well. They haven't got anything right in the last 18 months. And that makes it very difficult to have continued faith going forward. And I speak as a guy who has spoken many times on this show about the caveat of I am grateful to them for getting rid of the spivs and that never goes away. But at some points, it's not enough to not be the spivs anymore. And the fact that King 
is so distant, which is a personality trait. It's not necessarily just the way he is in business. He's not a warm, open guy. There's now this sort of almost comical lack of focus and vision and direction of what Rangers are. I don't think they've defined that. Where we should be going. I think there's a vague idea of we would like to win the league at some point. Uh, but, you know, that that's not a vision. That's a dream. A vision is something that you say, this is what we want to get to. And then here is the strategy to take us there. And we don't have that. I mean, Robertson's performance this season, which I know incidentally is partly due to the fact that he is a guy up above him that he has to run everything past, who is difficult to reach sometimes. And again, I've, I've heard people say things like... Um, I don't believe he's difficult to reach. Surely he can pick up a phone. Listen, there's a difference between being able to get someone and someone allowing you to get them. So things take days to process that could be done in hours if someone had the authority at the club to do it. But you take the director of football thing. We don't want a director of football. We don't agree with the structure. Okay, things go a bit wrong. Director of football is a key thing for us. We're going to appoint a director of football imminently. We don't. A few weeks later, we're still kind of looking for a director of football. Um, it's it's kind of important. It's just, are you making this shit up as you go along? Uh, well, there's a lot of points to cover there. Um, I, I suppose, right, let's, let's hit point number one, right? Dave King does not want to be owner of Rangers, all right? Dave King stepped into it because there was a good opportunity there for him from a business perspective. He's not there through an overwhelming self-found desire to be top of the tree at Rangers, alright that being said I think that you've hit on a couple of problems which are actually very much at the board level but very distinct in terms of what they are so just to kind of give you that that, that my, my tuppence worth on it the, the, the first problem is from a playing capacity, we have bought horrendously for the last probably two and a bit seasons our our main prolific signings have been horrendous. And for the last four years, very simply, all we've done is rely on Kenny Miller. All right? That says everything you need to, to, to hear about where we've been at in terms of signings. We, we brought in the, a guy who captained Hearts to a championship win. He's been disastrous. We've brought in Tavernier and Wycorn, who looked good at a, a certain level, have failed to produce ever since. Senderos, Barton, Cranchar, all terrible and their own individual sob stories. Joe Garner's Chris Boyd without goals. Um, and and you said earlier on, Windass, very much a warming player, totally agree with that. Kiernan, all of them, right? Genuinely, I think that we have been very, very poor. And I'm not going to say unfortunate. I think we've been very, very poor in our signings. The, the stories behind them and all that as well are for another matter. But the bottom line, however, is we haven't brought in a player of real significant quality, in my opinion, that has been able to do it consistently for the last two years. That is where I think that, and to give King and the board their due, they have created funds for that to happen because it's not just transfer fees, it's salaries on top of it. So the three duds that we bought in terms of Cranchar, Senderos and Barton were all still paying their wages because they'll be massive. So at that point, let's just say that we have had the funds there to be able to do it. And that's a perfectly legitimate argument from, from King and the board if they're taking back that. We need to get better at that. That's the most fundamental thing. And that's when I think a director of football absolutely helps us in that capacity. The second thing, and this is probably probably more prevalent to, to some of the stuff that you mentioned with regards uh, some of the, the PR side of things. Rangers, for as long as you and I have been actively involved within fans groups and whatever else as well, Davey, have been horrendous at PR, all right? Mm-hmm. It's not new with this current board because, in actual fact, I, I don't understand what it is that gym trainers doing, but I dare say if I was to ask the question, I, the answer would probably get is very similar to the one that you and I have heard before of, yeah, but you only see the stories that make it into the paper. You don't see the stories that we're keeping out of it, yeah. which is a lot of shite. But anyway, the reason as to why it's been so bad is because and, and we, sp- we spoke about this actually a few weeks ago, I remember it, because we were talking about it's not necessarily King. I don't I don't think, do you know what, see if Dave King's at Ibrox last Saturday, I don't think we win 3-0, right? I don't think it makes any difference. But where the difference is here in terms of how he's actually operating is, if he wants to operate it remotely, do you know what, that's fine. 
do you know what? See, in all honesty, Jank had love in Bathgate if I had £40 million sitting in the bank. Of course I wouldn't. But the difference for this being is, if he's going to operate it remotely and he's going to have a bit of a sleeping partner type relationship with the rest of his, his board of directors, then he has to employ an infrastructure within which he has 100% faith and assurance that they can make the big decisions without having to consult him every five minutes. So you'll either have to get someone who's willing to take a risk, and you know what, if it fucks up, then he's held accountable for it. But ultimately, a board that can actually turn around and say, well, that's fine, this is how we're going to deal with it, and that's how we'll deal with it. And you know what, if Daddy doesn't like it, then you know we'll have that conversation later. But right now, these are the crises that we have to deal with. Um, the problem that I've got with that scenario, however, is, and, and the reason why we've not been aggressive with it, is because I think it gets us to our current state of play with SFA, with the media in general. So my understanding is as well, Keith Jackson was told that he was he was not welcome back at Auchenhowie on Friday. The BBC scandal kind of cracks on as well. All of this is just lame duck stuff until we can actually get some balls about us. Well, I think that the... You know, that that's an interesting thing. If you look at the coverage over the last two weeks, in particular from the record, I mean, they were a fully paid member of the or, uh, wing, PR wing of the Celtic grievance machine. The abuse of Don Robertson was, you know, bordering on criminal. Uh, warnings across the, the daily record most of last week, and, and not just one, there were days where there were, were literally three of the back page stories were warnings that Celtic better start getting decisions or refereeing careers are going to be ended. Then you you get the situation where the the dressing room leaks, which is always another sign of A, an unhappy dressing room, and B, a dressing room full of fucking losers. Uh, the dressing room leaks, which were going in there. And you know, banning journalists is, is all well and good, but you have to fight back in other ways, be it, you know, you select a a media outlet that's going to be your preferred source and you use them for competition and you start to get positive stories out. And and we just don't do that. And there was one honest um, Celtic account last week that somebody retweeted. And do you know what? I actually have to say, whoever it was, I didn't pay enough attention, but I, I kind of at least admire their honesty. And it, it was... It was refreshing in a way to see that they, they posted a picture of King, uh, sorry, of uh, Lawwell and Desmond, and they said, We run the SFA. And it's true, they do, and that's fine, because they have cultivated it and worked at it, and they have a chief executive who diligently worked over 10 years doing all the right things to cultivate a situation where the SFA are fearful of them, where the press are fucking terrified of them, and people dance to their tune. And we saw that with the brown, you know, yellow card being rescinded. That was up there in the category of they don't even care it, they don't even hide it anymore. Because, you know, that was a stonewall red card. Everybody knew. Brendan Rodgers said after the fucking game it was a red card. Everybody knew it was a red card. Um, the appeal that was put in was one of those kind of, ah, we'll get him for this game and then he can do his ban. Um, they didn't believe for a second. They, they didn't believe for a second it was going to be rescinded. But of course it is because it's the path of least resistance. And we have been now. We are now reaping. The, the problem. Hang on a second. The problem. The problem for me is not is not the red card being rescinded. Because to be honest with you, we'd have done exactly the same thing, right? No, no, we would have appealed it. it. I don't have a problem with them. Appe- yeah, anybody who but, had a problem they, with them appealing it is a hypocrite. Because we have done it, and we would have done it. The, the problem, the problem, and I'm sorry to cut you off and obviously come back to it, but the reason as to why I've got a bigger problem with that is Scott Brown on Saturday. Now, any 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 Celtic fan who listens to this podcast would probably turn around and go, right, well, do you know what? They're all just blaming the referee and all that kind of stuff. The they're, not the actually, they're, not actually listening, they're not actually listening to the fact that we've done a bit of a kind of player dissection and a goal-by-goal dissection. And not once has anyone turned around and actually said, well, that was a completely unfair decision. Do you know what I mean? That's it. That's not, that's not what we're saying. The problem I've got with this is Scott Brown has elbowed Jason Holt and it has went unanswered. He's now elbowed Kenny Miller and that's went unanswered. And that is where, for me, that's where the biggest power is now from, from Celtic over the SFA is that 
we don't even have the balls to turn around and actually go to the SFA and say, here's two clear instances. One is a maybe, two is a habit. Mm-hmm. So as far as we're concerned, what is it that you're doing about this? We don't even have the balls to be able to try and turn around and say that. That's what, That's where I think the real power is here, that these incidents just go under the carpet. It's not the high-profile appeals and all that shit, because you're right, we've all done it, so why not take advantage of a system that doesn't really work? But see, at the end of the day, it's the ones that aren't being answered that just tote up and tote up and tote up, and that's what is, is the clearest indicator to me of where the, 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 the kind of the dynasty lies here in terms of the SFA yeah. power balance. And you saw that, listen, it wasn't the referee's fault, pardon me, that we lost on Saturday. No one need it. There were two incidents, though, that show you, that demonstrate that just a, a little microcosms of where we are with the game in this country. The brown elbow, it's quite clearly a red card defence. You can't even really argue it's a yellow because he takes a look at him, sees him coming, sticks his elbow out. Um, and it's you know, stonewaller, red card. Certainly a stonewaller if the refs missed it. Go back, which I don't think he did, by the way, but go back and, you know, you're getting two games for that. Then there's the... Uh, Simeonovic tackle which is certainly a yellow card if you look at you can argue if it's reckless which is a yellow or dangerous which is a red personally I think it was reckless and I think it was a yellow card right? we don't even get a for it because the referee John Beaton it's his first old firm game he's fucking terrified Celtic are winning easily why make waves and that's what all of this pressure for the last 20 years that's what all of it is designed to do. Not to get actively cheating decisions, not to, you know, corrupt people, but to just make sure that everything's coloured by this I'll be in the papers for two weeks, I'll have my name dragged through the mud, I'll be getting phone calls in the middle of the night, all of that shit that accompanies when you give a bad decision against the establishment club. And there'll be times I know sitting listening go, oh, establishment club, you are a fucking establishment club, okay? Fucking, you've had an ex-governor of the Bank of England on your board. You've had a former fucking Home Secretary on your board. The ruling party in Scotland is absolutely fucking packed with people who go to your, or pretend to, I think Hamza Yusuf is the latest one. You are the establishment club, you run the SFA, and fucking well done to you, by the way. Because you weren't and you have made yourselves that, and instead of going, we're not the establishment club, you should be fucking having a wank about it. You should be going, look at how well we have done. You do run the game in this country. I'm not having a go at you for that. That's what you should be aiming to do. I'm having a go at us for allowing it to happen. And I saw some fucking wank on one of Mark's sites have the audacity to say, ah, the young supporters these days, they don't know what it's all about. And I said, well, do you know what, mate? I'm fucking glad the young supporters don't know what it's all about. And I'll tell you why. It wasn't the young supporters that let David Murray frog march us up to the edge of a cliff and hold us over it. It wasn't the young supporters that let Craig White boot us right over it. It wasn't the young supporters that let all this happen and let this media uh, become so compliant to one club and so aggressive towards ours. So if the young folk don't know what it's all about, I'm fucking delighted because the young folk then might be able to show a spine and drag this club back to where it's supposed to be. It's our generation that let it down. It's anyone who's 35 upwards needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror and say, what did I do in the last 20 years? Did I sit back and moan and send text messages and complain or did I get off my arse and do anything? Well, it's, it's the old adage though, David, and Jimmy, you, you, you fix your roof when the sun's shining. Yeah. And whilst whilst we've we've enjoyed that that period where we were the establishment club, Murray effectively ran the media. Um, that started to completely dissipate when he basically saw the exit door, and I think more and more crept into it, which obviously you and I were well aware of. Yeah, Cammy. Not only did we not fix the roof when it was uh, when it was sunny, we pretended while we were up to our, our knees in rainwater that the roof was holding and that is un- that for me is the worst part of what's happened that we are compliant in our own relegation to Espanolification standards that's exactly where we are and like I said I mean I don't like to, to come on this show and rant I like to come on this show and make knob jokes um, that's what I use it for but there has to be a line in the sand and there has to be a time where we collectively stand up and say enough and then you get I'm sure we've all seen the video now at the weekend of this fucking Tiffany song 
that's uh, been appropriated. I mean, what the f- what are people thinking? Seriously, what what goes through your mind? What good do you think comes of this? Because I'll tell you something. If you're upset at us being portrayed as knuckle dragon bigots, and you're singing a song like that, then what do you expect is going to happen? I think I think you've got to remember though, David. Right, more than anything else is. We, uh, I think, I think where our biggest point of focus just now is, and when it comes to the board, we need to turn around. And I don't really want to start getting into the kind of fan representation stuff as well because it's a quagmire. But we need to be able to try and go back to the board and say, do you know what? In all honesty, you don't need to spend a lot of money doing the things that we're asking you to do. No, we don't need you. We don't need you to turn around and go, right? We want you to buy a, a six million pounds centre mid who's going to cost us forty grand a week. What we do want you to do is go back to the SFA and say, what, why do you find it acceptable that you, you employ a compliance officer who I'm sure is in very good money to effectively overlook incidents when they are performed by players in a certain club? Why is it acceptable that huns and effigies um, are, are, are welcomed at matches um, with no... And never commented uh, on again. With, no, with no punitive action? Um, why do you find it acceptable that... Um, as I say, players are, are, are capable of coming out with some of the things that have come out on social media and again, there's no there's no action taken off the back of that and I think that the thing is though, that that's actually that, that's actually not a hard job to do, I, I think it's, it's quite straightforward but again, the mentality is Celtic are the bigger club therefore we have to leave it actually they're not the bigger club, no, they're, I mean, not. they're absolutely not and the, the fact that we are allowing that to seep into what we do on a day-to-day basis is unacceptable. And I think for a lot of the support, myself included, what I'd like us to be able to try and do is, if Jim, do you know what, see if Jim Trainer's going to actually do something about this. I don't mind if Jim Trainer every week just comes out and says, this is what I've done. This is, what I've, this is the stories I've had to, to quash today from certain journalists. This is what's had to happen. But I want Jim Trainer to be held to account around what is he actually doing about about our brand and is he protecting it? Because he was comfortable enough to do it at a press conference in front of his in front of his manager and act all bullish then. And you've got to remember he's got strong relationships with a lot of the people that he's talking about here. When it comes to taking that step up to being able to then go and challenge the governing authority of football in this country, what I'd be really curious about is if Celtic were happy to play the victim all these years until he got to this position, it would really, really disappoint me if we were to try and follow him down that route. I want us to be able to actually calmly, sensibly and constructively just simple ask the questions that I've just asked around where is the line in the sand here in terms of player conduct, in terms of fan behaviour, etc. Celtic have been given a supporter, a standing section within their support and do you know what? Good for them, because that's exactly what I think a lot of the other clubs would like as well. If you're going to bring out banners that say, kill all Huns, that section has to be taken away. There has to be punishment for when you step over the line. And right now, no one knows where that line is, but it's certainly, like Peter Lowell will, will tell you where it is. And that, that in itself is just, that, that's just ridiculous. It's, it's an incomplete setup which holds only one club accountable, which is Celtic, because they'll just set standard for everyone else. The issue that I have, and I'm sure there'll be people sitting, you know, listening and giving it the whole, uh, well, we'll sing what we want. Okay, fine, but don't complain then about how you're portrayed, because we know that the media like to take the lowest element of the Rangers support and pretend that that's that's the mean, that's the average. So when you give them, when you know that you've got an enemy, you don't walk up to them and hand them a baseball bat. And that's what that sort of thing does. Secondly, when it comes to the fact that if you're living with a bully, which, you know, Celtic are, and quite rightly so, who want to put their foot on your throat, you have to confront them. And we don't. The board doesn't. The chief executive doesn't. The PR team doesn't. We And the team certainly fucking don't. We lie down to the bully and then we complain that the bully's running all over the top of us. And then, like I say, if if your reaction to this is to then go, I'll go and sing, offend, I'll make up a wee offensive song and then teach it to all my pals, you're not going to get your club back to where it should be. That's not going to help. It might be fun on a Saturday afternoon when you're hurting and you're pissed, but 
it's not going to... I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I've sang things in the past that I really shouldn't have. But it's different days now. If you know that pretty much within seconds of you doing something, it's going to be online for the whole world to see. And then you've got to box cleverer. And we just collectively, at no level, are currently doing that. And I, I feel for the the vast, overwhelming, huge majority of Rangers supporters who are constantly being referred to and portrayed as somehow subhuman because of the fact that some people, and it's not fair, but because some people in their support behave in a certain way that we all must be like that. And you're right, it's not fair. And I get fed up when I hear about this kind of old self-policing thing because I don't know any other community in the world that well that's expected. But we know that we don't have the authorities on our side. So just think about it. Just think, what's the end result of this? Sure, you're going to feel better for a couple of days, but you, or for a couple of hours, but then you're going to be in the papers, the club's going to be damaged, it makes it harder to get investment, and when you're sitting there next season watching shit players not giving your all, remember that. We all have a part to play in getting our club back to where it should be. And currently, if you're not doing it, then you're part of the problem, you're not part of the solution. Now, moving on, Cammy, um Pedro, now it's difficult to it's it's difficult to I think correctly discuss this in a in a sort of calm and composed way. So I'm gonna try and take a step back from me today. And listen, if you're still listening, thank you very much. I I can't be that much fun listening to a middle aged ranty ginger, but I, human nature is uh, the phrase I like when it comes to it is coloured by that we have a logical opinion of Pedro he invented a diffi- he invented he uh, inherited a very difficult job we know the players aren't up to much he can't be judged at the moment uh, certainly not until the summer gets his own players see how we go but things colour that opinion and unfortunately for him he had two old firm games which started badly and got worse. And unfortunately, although you, you tell yourself, although your brain says, logically, this is how I, you know, this is what I think. He's not at the time. He's not got the players. We'll see how it goes in the summer. You cannot help but creeping in, as I say, colouring everything as this. That was disastrous. I, I think the most concerning thing for me was that when he kind of came out afterwards and said that, they had a game plan, they wanted to stick to it and it fell apart after five minutes and obviously referring to the, the, the penalty that that to me was really concerning because I can understand you you're trying to have a system and the player's not getting it but you're trying to be rigid with it because it's exactly what Mark Warburton got the sack for yes, if, you are, if you are turning around now and saying uh, I want to try this, I want to revolutionise the thinking, I get all of that. And I suppose this kind of harps back to what we were saying earlier on about about the, the true value of what Saturday should have been. That is Pedro's acid taste. It, it's it's a, a dead rubber game wherein actually he could have trialled that and then see how it stuck with it and then see what system would have worked, how it would have, how it would have developed throughout the game, etc. as well. And the first thing he said after the after the game was, yeah, the, the plan fell apart after five minutes. That that actually, for me, is a massive alarm bell over either how he's communicating that to his players, how it's landing, how it's embedding, and how acceptable they are to it. Because as far as I'm concerned, I get that it was a shit start. All right? I get that it was a shit start. But the bottom line, however, is... If, if, let's see if that goal had come in the second half. Every manager will tell their team, go out for them, go and try and see if we can grab an early goal, blah, blah, what have you. Fair enough, it started right at, right at the beginning of the game. But you've also got 85 minutes thereafter to be able to try and get back into it. And to be perfectly honest with you, and I hate saying this, but if you look at the, the Hibs-Aberdeen semi-final, Hibs had exactly the same mentality because they, they were a goal down after 35 seconds. But in actual fact, they came back to recover it and very nearly took the game to extra time and penalties. So that, to me, suggests the fact that Pedro has tried to put in a, a system in there and and it's just it's not worked yet. And I, there's no reason for it not to work because what what's going to happen if it doesn't for the 
four remaining games that you had at that stage. Because in all honesty, it, it, it's not, as I said to you before, everyone decided. It's just pride more than anything else, and I get all of that. But I think most Rangers fans would, would happily, if you could give them the option, just to end the season now. No one wants to see the rest of it. No. I think most of us are clinging on to this idea of as long as Aberdeen don't win <clears throat> uh, in the midweek game, then that's all that matters because it's our home record against them, and I get that. But by and large, you should be able to embed this and actually get players bought into it. I don't get where it's where it's coming from, and and I want to I want to give them the time to be able to try and do that. I put a question up in social media around, given what you've seen, how would you assess him being able to try and buy players? And people got very defensive against that because they were like, "Well, you've not seen him buy players." I said, "Yeah, but I'm running on it on his assessment of the playing squad that he has at the moment, and where he sees that he quite clearly doesn't like Barry McKay." He, he likes Joe Dudu, which I, all of that I get, but at the same point as well, when you're then relying on Martin Wycorn, for example, I get rid of Martin Wycorn tomorrow, mm. and that's really harsh because I think he's served as well, but at this level he's just not cutting it. And the reason why I can make that statement is because I've seen him consistently be underperforming. And what I want to be able to try and get from Kachinia now is this idea of, do you know what, I want to be ruthless, and if you're not good enough, you're out. And and that's where I, I'm I'm really not sold on it at the moment. And you made a point earlier on about the director of football recruitment. I suppose what what I've got a huge concern about. And I, listen, I'm perfectly happy to prove it wrong about this. If we'll talk about this in a year, then we'll see what happens. What I've got a real concern about at the moment is we haven't recruited a director of football because we haven't found the right man. How come the manager was so freely available at that point for someone that we heard completely out of left field that we were able to get that we are now categorising as the right man? Um, all of that's true. I, you know, I want to back Pedro. I will continue to until I see reasons not to. But I, I speak about this a lot, and I, I do keep returning to it. There's there's a difference between what you think and what you feel, and you can control what you think, but you can't control what you feel. Because you can overrule your brain and say no. Let us look at these. You know, I'm, these are the factors I'm going to consider, and I'm not going to consider the following. But in your heart, there's a a little voice that's kind of saying, "Here, hang on a minute. Oh, that's true, but this just doesn't feel right." Um, call it instinct or whatever. Call it experience of having watched football for thirty five, forty years, or or however long. If Pedro loses the Aberdeen match, he's a dead man walking unless we go off at the start of next season like a train because a lot of supporters who think of the game in a very straightforward manner will have just looked at these matches and concluded the guys are dud. And the thing about the Rangers support is once they've made their mind up on you, it's very hard to change it. The only time I can really remember it happening to a significant degree was Mark Hately. And Mark Haley was an exceptional football player who happened to be playing at a time when we were doing well as well. So that, you know, didn't didn't really hurt. Apart from that, we are quick to judge and long to forget. And if he gets into that situation, because there always comes a point, spoke about this with Warburton, where once the majority of supporters have made up your mind, uh, their mind about you, it doesn't matter what you do because they're just waiting for the next piece of evidence to tell them they, that they were right on that decision so you can win 6, 7, 8, 9 games in a row but when you lose the 10th the fans go I fucking told you he's useless Pedro through no fault well not no fault of his own but certainly through difficult circumstances not of his own making is probably how I should put it is in that position now where fans rightly or wrongly will look and go will Marty manage to organise a team to go and play them well, Marty was able to get more out of them than that, and they're going to then start to look for evidence, confirmation bias, they're going to start to look for evidence to support the conclusion they've reached, which is going to be in plentiful supply from a media who have already decided that he's a funny foreigner, and that they're going to poke this guy um, over and over and over. Again, because we're at Celtic in the 90s, when you when you enter this comedy club phase or this crisis club phase in the eyes of the media and the eyes of the outer world, they will look for things to to prove that 
that this is that their theory is correct. So they, so in this case, it's hire the unknown manager. Who is this clown? Look, he's a clown, and Pedro's in a very very difficult place at the moment. He has no wriggle room. The the club has to end the season well. It just has to if he's to have any significant future. So I, 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 listen, I get that, but so there's a couple of things you've, you've you've hit on there, and I totally get it. Unless you're a a white British national aged between forty and sixty, the Scottish media will, will think that you're not a capable footballing manager. Correct. And the the, the 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 problem I've got with that within itself is that it's going to end up becoming um, a parody a parody of of Kachinia. And you you've already hit around some uh, slightly a xenophobic undercurrent, and I completely agree with that. I completely agree with it. And the reason is that why I'm saying to you that it's not all oh, woe is Rangers and don't pick on us and don't hurt us and blah blah. Is because it's exactly the same thing that Cathro's getting at Hearts mm-hmm. because of his age. And it's as if some of the media will focus on what they consider to be a flaw and the reason why you don't succeed is because of that flaw. Now, I, 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 I totally get that and that's its own kind of separate separate entity which it continues needs to be really, really wary of. And again, I don't want to repeat the same comments but I think that Jim Trainer needs to do a better job of being able to try and tackle some of that. The point that you hit on earlier on was, was interesting around um, he, he has to finish the season well. I actually, I mean, I do agree with that, but I think actually what he needs to do is he needs to have a he needs to have an excellent transfer window. He really needs to be able to try and do that because if he was able to bring in signings who come in and hit the ground running, then in actual fact, I think that that, that will speak a lot around what his capabilities are once he once he's able to get a full season under his belt. The question I would ask to you is this, Davy? Let's say absolute worst case scenario, he loses all the remaining games of the season, including the game against Aberdeen at home. Would you back the decision to give him £6 million uh, for transfers and salary? Oh, that is a bastard of a question, Cameron. Um, because because I, I genuinely don't know how I would answer that question. I'm not putting you on the spot. No, it's The reason is the why I'm saying that in a concurrent fashion, for the first time, and again, in my opinion, probably in two and a half years, we need to use this transfer window productively. And it needs to work. Um, that's that, that's the thing. If the board believe that this guy is the right guy, then yes, they have to back him. If they have doubts, any doubts at all, then there's another decision to be made. But it probably would be harsh. However, I just think that for the last few years, I might have to change what I think or the way I think about football because my, my take has always been you should back the manager up until it's clear that it's not working. Well, maybe sometimes you shouldn't. Maybe sometimes you should be proactive and just say it isn't working uh, or it's not going to work and make that decision. Um, Pedro has done some good things so far. I think there had been an improvement in the defence up until the last two matches. I think, you know, there was a great win away at Pataudry, but at the moment that's looking more like an outlier rather than uh, Ranald Sander. And if he was to, to show us something in the last four matches, then, then great. You know, there's no... Unfortunately, there's no open and shut case. And the only way you can tell if it's the right or wrong answer is through hindsight. Because he can very legitimately, and people who want to back him, uh, and I want to back him, but people can say, not his players, hasn't long to work with them, we know they're duds anyway, let them get the summer. And those are all fair, fair points. Equally, other people will say, team regressed, um wasn't able to take players and improve them, uh, which is part of what this appointment we were told was all about. Um, not going to be able to cut it. We can all see it. We all know it in our heart. Get rid of them. And like I say, there's no definitive answer. Uh, the problem that we have, and we've had for a couple of years, is a lot of the time we're in situations where there is no good outcome. There's only the least bad outcome. And when you're into that kind of situation, then you have to find a way of changing the options rather than picking one where you, you do have a, a good a good path. And it stems from leadership and it stems from the top. And it's, you know, you just said there, it's a big summer for the manager. And it is, it's a fucking enormous one for the board, Cammy. 
So, and, and that's where I actually think that the board could probably answer a lot of questions simultaneously if they were to give him a degree of money. Now, theoretically, he might be able to generate some of that himself with, with transfer fees, obviously. But if the board were to turn around and say, right, we'll give you five or six million pounds, which they've invested before, so it's not think that that's a insurmountable amount of money. But in actual yeah. fact, I think the board would turn around and go, well, you're, you're asking us to, to put investment in tobacco, etc. Here you go. And actually, I think that the board would get a lot of fans back on side for that. The other stuff that I mentioned in terms of the kind of PR side of things uh, is still absolutely a work in progress and actually would cost significantly less than the figures I've just mentioned. But from that perspective, I I think for Kachinia, we need to be able to give them the rest of the season and the transfer window. And if we... I, I think what we should do, being perfectly honest, is you've had these conversations at work, I've had these conversations at work, practically most of the people who are listening to this pod will have had these conversations at work where in actual fact what you can do is you can sit down with your direct line report and say tell me where you think that you will be in six months tell me what you think you know your goals will be what will that look like what are you going to do to get there you know how how you tell me what your plan is and i don't think it's unreasonable for the board to say that to kachinia now if that's the case and he does that and let's say his his goal, for example, is to be within 10 points of Celtic, in second place, within 10 points of Celtic by Christmas. Then that's, that's what I would say, OK, pretty achievable, let's do that. Here's X amount of million, spend with it as you see fit. If by December 25th that hasn't happened, then I think that it's perfectly valid to part company. And I think we are we've had our prolonged period now of um, you know a real lack of managers changing hands. So we've had managers with huge, huge periods. Uh, Ibrox, and I agree with you. You've said this before. That's one of the best things about a club. I totally agree. But these are change days, and I think that to a certain extent we have to be slightly more ruthless if we are going to give you money, which is a huge, huge ask of us at the moment. It doesn't work out then away you go. Because if it hadn't been for Nottingham Forest fucking all this up, we'd probably be in a far worse position if we'd been still been lumbered with Warburton. Yeah. Well, a difficult pod to record and a difficult pod, I'm sure, to listen to. So if you're still with us, thank you very much for that. Um, we like to, to try and answer questions and offer solutions where we can. But at this point, we are like the rest of the, the range of support. And I think that we're in a position now where... We have the right to to demand that the people who have put their hands up to be custodians of the club start to deliver. And the only thing I think we can all agree on is that Saturday cannot ever happen again. So uh, all that it means for me to do is to thank our executive producers in London, Mr Mike Lee and Mr Paul Myers, to thank uh, you guys for listening, to thank Mr Cameron James Bell for joining us. David, it's a pleasure as always. Oh, wait a minute, hang on. Cox, boobs, fannies. There you go. Yeah. There's the immature side of the pod that we usually have. Scott's gay. Yeah, yeah gay right. takes up the bumper. Yeah, there we go. So uh, that, I think that's all bases covered now, bud. Um, you can get in touch with us to tell us how much you disagree with us uh, at uh, Heart and Hand. Uh, search for us on Facebook, just Heart and Hand Rangers Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ibrox Rocks. Cammy is. At Beat That Beat. And uh, we'll try and get back to as many of you as possible. And uh, you know, like I say, I'd I'd like to, I'd like to leave you all in an upbeat tone. But these are these are bad times. Um, however, at the end of the day, uh, he said, stalling for time. It will get better, and you have to keep believing that because we've been in worse situations. There's a lot of anger coming out today, and justifiably so. But we've been in worse situations than this, where our very future, our very existence has been challenged and hasn't been a given and we've come through it and we will come through this if we all play our part ask questions get on to Club 1872 ask them what they're doing join up with your RSC put pressure on start a podcast start a blog start a magazine just make sure that you're not silent that you're not accepting it it's not enough to put out a tweet saying I'm unhappy everybody has got to gather together because we're all we have 
The only thing that are keeping us great right now is that facade at the stadium, the trophy room, the history and us. And what we have to do is make sure we might have limited limited troops on the ground, but by Christ, if every one of his fights were worth 10, and this is worth fighting for. My name's David Edgar. I'll talk to you again this time next week. Cheers. Bye. Network. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.